0: Good morning. Um, I will tell you that uh, Rebecca and Terry have a dog that sounds like a baby crying. <laughs> I'm like, there's a baby down there in their basement <laughs> crying. Somebody needs to go get that baby. Um, well, I'm uh, delighted to be here. It's such a beautiful day. What such a beautiful place we don't have any we don't have many leaves in georgia they're all ugly skinny pine trees is is what we have we have some leaves but not many um i should have brought my husband and we could have traveled and gone up the road and whatever you do uh here <laughs> yeah. pick up a few maple leaves and go home so anyway This morning, I I just wanted to tell you briefly about a couple of these resources so you'll know what they are. This book is Damsels in Distress, Biblical Solutions for Problems Women Face. This has different topics. Every chapter stands by itself. It has a chapter on hurt feelings. It has a chapter on um, legalism. It has one on manipulation. Now, that one... Uh, My pastor says that chapter is worth the price of the book. But it has study questions at the end of every chapter. So these things came really from my experience with doing biblical counseling. By the way, I am a certified biblical counselor with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC, not ACDC. ACBC. Uh, we used to call our, ourselves NANC, N-A-N-C, and that stood for something else, but we're the same group. And if you're interested in that, or you want free resources, podcasts, all kinds of stuff, look on biblicalcounseling.com. That's our website, and um, you can just learn a and if you're looking for a counselor, you can also find one, hopefully in your area there. So, Damsel's in Distress, I called it Problems Women Face. That was the title. The publisher, when it was ready to almost go to print, he said, we don't like your title. I said, well, I like my title. He said, it's negative. So I said, we'll call it Biblical Solutions problems we wouldn't face, because that's positive. And he said, no, that's boring. <laughs> so I said, well, i got to think about this. So I thought about it, and I said, well, let's call it My Problem is a Very Big Deal. I still like that title. And he liked it. So you have to rewrite parts of the book when you change the title. So I fixed it. We sent it the manuscript to some ladies to see for endorsements and stuff two of them came back and said we don't like the title <laughs> you're being sarcastic so i was out of titles so my daughter anna she always reads all the everything i write for english and fix it And then my pastor, John, reads it for context and scripture and making sure everything is okay there. So they were very familiar with the book. So I called them and I said, we have to have an emergency meeting because they are pressing me for a new title and I can't think of anything. John said, I'm not coming. I said, you're not coming? And he said, no. His wife had just had their fourth baby, and he was tired. He wasn't getting much sleep. And um, he said, I'm not coming. I said, because I know him too well, I said, if we meet at Starbucks and I will buy you anything you want, will you come? And he said, yes. (laughs) So we met that Saturday. The three of us got everybody's coffee, stuff. And we sat down, and for about five minutes, Anna and I just talked. John just looked bleary-eyed. And uh, finally, he said, call it damsels in distress. And Anna and I both said, oh, we like that. He never said another word. He picked up his coffee, and he left. <laughs> so... He also thought of this title, Attitudes of a Transformed Heart. But I didn't have to beg him or or bribe him with Starbucks. This book, I think, is the most important book I'll ever write. Now, every The Excellent Life gets all the attention, but um, this is based on Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's my best effort to explain what it means to have a high view of God, what it means to study doctrine, what Bible doctrine is, and then how to think biblically and different attitudes that come from that. And this one also has study questions at the end of every chapter. So it's the purple. People just say it, the purple book. So, um, And then we I've got some CDs and some DVDs in there. If you look on if you're interested if you look on the back it tells what the lecture titles are and every one of them have a, a CD or a DVD that's got the handouts on it so you can use it you can print out as many as you want the those of you that teach the excellent wife you might want to look at the excellent wife uh set it's 24 1 hour Uh, DVDs, but it's supplement material to The Excellent Wife. It's not just a rehash of what's in the book. And so uh, I explain uh, all of that in there, but how to teach it and all that. But you could show the DVD, but when you get to the end of the DVD, I go over the answers, the questions and answers really quickly. I'm just... I have no audience. I just pretend like I'm talking to somebody. But turn me off, and you go over the study guide with your ladies. So um, anyway, and then there's also a DVD set, Women Counseling Women, and some of you might be interested in that too. So all right, let's talk about man who thinks he is most high. I have a cousin. His name is William, and... Um, he is not a Christian, but he is curious about me and everything that has happened to me. And uh one time he and his wife were uh, visiting in our home, and William just said, What happened to you? And I said, Well, let me tell you. So I gave him my testimony. And uh, he said, you see God as the prophets saw God. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you see him as high and exalted and lifted up. And I said, yes, I do. So he had had a religion course in college that must have taught him that the prophets saw God that way. And um, I hadn't thought about it exactly that way. But all true believers should see God as high and lifted up. Um, several years ago, I was working around the house and uh, the radio, Christian radio was on. And uh, there was, uh, Dr. Dobson came on, focused on the family, just with like a little three or four minute blurb. And he was talking about abuse how women can be abused, and um, he was talking mainly about verbal abuse and um, how terrible it is, and I agreed with him, and he said, and do you know why it's so terrible? And I really, my ears perked up when he said that because I knew why it was so terrible, but I wanted to see what he would say. He said, because it will tear down their self-esteem. The answer devastated me. He did not say one word about sin or repentance or hope um, or the holiness of God or God being offended. The person sinned against was instantly a victim who was wounded inwardly Nothing was said about that person's opportunity to overcome evil with good, to glorify God, to give a blessing instead. I mean, there were so many biblical things that he could have said. But he's a psychologist. He's a Christian, but he's a psychologist. So his thing is self-esteem. So I was invited uh, to come to a ladies' conference. This was quite a while ago. And hundreds of women were expected to be there, and they gave me a brochure. So I looked at it, and it focused on the woman's hurts and her feelings of worthlessness, feelings of worthlessness. Her significance needs were going unmet, and the theme was how you can become an exquisite jewel for God. Well, I didn't go to the conference uh, because it seemed to me, especially from what I read, that it was not honoring to the Lord. It was man-centered. It was man-focused. And I knew I would be fit to be tied. That's what we say in the South. Uh, It was just better for them if I didn't go. Uh, Sometimes we receive ads in the mail for churches in our area, uh, one of them, I particularly uh, noticed, and it had quotes from some of the members, and it said, I go to such and such a church because the skits they have on Sunday mornings, now uh, listen, help my sense of belonging. All right, that's, they get that from psychology. or right, here's another quote, my passion is Drama. When I dance, it is a way for me to worship and express to God that words cannot. Both are real attention getters, especially for the children. Here's another one. I personally know what it's like to feel like you don't belong. We, that church, are committed to reach out and use whatever is necessary in order to say that the to the community that God cares about them. We recognize the need for God, and that people matter to him, and we are trying to be the church for the rest of us who have not experienced that truth experienced the truth that people matter to God. Well, I could go on and on with examples like that, but this is a far cry from here come to our church our our the theme of our church is uh, soleil. Deo Gloria, to God be the glory. We preach sermons based on scripture. You will leave with a deeper understanding that God is holy, that you are a sinner, and that you must repent. So what what I'm going to try to do is explain where this idea of what I'm calling man most high came from. Because I want you to be more discerning. When you listen to the radio, when you read a Christian book, uh, when you go find, try to find a counselor that uh, is a Christian, I mean, I, I have been doing biblical counseling for women since 1989. I've counseled hundreds of women. Our church has a free biblical counseling ministry to the community. We don't charge for counseling. And um, I know that I've talked to so many of them that have said, well, I went to a counselor, and she or he was a Christian. And I'll say, well, did they pray with you? Well, no. Did they have a Bible? Did they use the Bible? Well, no. So... Don't be fool, I want you to be discerning. Don't be fooled by that. That person trying to help them probably was sincerely trying to help them, but they were not using God's word, which you know you you can't get any deeper inside a person than the thoughts and intents of the heart, which is what the scriptures do and um but they're using secular theory, secular ideas about how to help people have a, a healthy personality. So I want you to be discerning when you, you hear things like this, and I don't want you to be um, led astray, really. All right, I defined man most high as this is a view of man that is man-centered and man-esteeming instead of God-centered and God-esteeming. Uh, the, the people are self-focused instead of God-focused. It is an unbiblical view of man because it robs God of glory, it enhances man's pride, and we have enough of that uh, already. It deceives man. It makes him more self-centered through using God and scripture as an excuse. It's based more on human reason and logic than scripture. It sees man's dignity and worth as intrinsic within man. We're just that special. Instead of extrinsic given to him by God. It's a form of humanism. Humanism is a godless philosophy, which, and this is a quote from R.C. Sproul, which is the ultimate form of idolatry, which regards man as the measure of all things. Now, somehow, some way, we are so valuable that we deserve God's love and God's blessings that he gives us. Now, I divided Man Most High into two categories, religious man and psychologized man. And I want to start with psychologized man. And this is, we we have been more steeped in this than we realize. It's just everywhere, even if you've never taken a psychology course, um, in psychologized man, man is seen as either driven by hidden subconscious or unconscious desires, that's Sigmund Freud's idea, or seen as needy, that's Abraham Maslow's idea, and or looking for his identity needs, Eric Erickson. Now, Freud I want to talk briefly about Sigmund Freud, Abraham Maslow, and Eric Erickson because all of these developed theories of what causes or helps a person to have a healthy personality. And all three of them were godless men. Abraham Maslow signed... The original humanist manifesto, which states there is no God, so um, they they're looking for answers, but they're they're not turning to God for those answers. This man has to get in touch with his deepest pain. He might not even know what's causing his depression or anxiety, but it's thought in a Freudian way that there's something some trauma that happened to you in the past and uh, you've suppressed it because it's so painful to think about so you don't even know what it is and when it tries to rise to the surface of your brain then you have a panic attack or you have all this anxiety so you repress it back Um, it's it's just, I'm telling you, these men made this up. And it, it's not, if you read the Bible, it's so very different from what God says. And all of them um, think that man is born innocent and pure and good, and um, they do not see God as judge over them. Um and only until you have experienced the deep pain there, then the Christian psychologist would say, then you can turn to Christ, then you can begin to heal. This, the Bible doesn't teach anything like that, nothing. Uh, man, Let me give you an example. Man experiences anxiety or depression or feelings of worthlessness due to not having his needs met so some are freudian some are uh, adhere to abraham maslow's theories this is what uh, dr dobson does with his self esteem maslow came along after freud and he developed what he calls a hierarchy of needs so the the top Uh, of his pyramid is he calls it self-actualization this is a person who has had all of his underlying needs met and now he can feel good about himself he can be a confident person he then can in turn reach out and help others self-actualization but you have to have the underlying needs met first and it starts at the bottom. The physical needs are the most pressing need. If you don't have food, if you don't have water, if you don't have air, you're not going to be thinking about anything else but that. Once those are met, then your significance and security needs have to be met. That's usually your parents. They take care of you even you know, from the time you're born until uh, you are grown. But if they don't, esteem you, if they don't treat you as somebody significant and they make you feel insecure, then you are stuck at this level psychologically. And so the counselor then would try to go back into your past and try to help you deal with that. Once your significance and security needs that, then your love and belongingness needs uh, would be the next pressing one. If you feel loved, if you feel belonged, you feel secure, then your self-esteem needs uh, would be the next pressing one. And then if you, f- if you esteem yourself, which, by the way, we do esteem ourselves. Even if we put ourselves down and disparage ourselves, we're, the focus is on ourselves then, of course, the self-actualized. So a self-actualized person is somebody who feels confident and good about themselves. They can reach out to help others. If you Christianized this, uh, it would be a confident Christian, conformed to the image of God's Son. They can give the gospel. They're helping others. But in order to become this kind of person, Your underlying needs must be met first, or emotionally you're going to be stuck. Uh, Possibly for your entire life, uh, your emotional pain can just be horrific. We hear this, Christianized, through things like, God loves you, you're special, you're worthy. Your significance is in Christ, once you understand that your identity is in him, you will feel better about yourself. Okay. Now, we are in union with Christ. When when you see in the Bible the words in Christ, it's all over the New Testament. Literally, it means in union with Christ. What an amazing, precious truth that is. It's a supernatural union. That God does for us at the at the moment that he saves us. They call that positional truth because God indwells us and will for all of eternity. So it's, he's not going to come and go like that. Um, it's a fact. It's not a feeling and it was never intended to be... Um, Used as a magic formula to solve emotional problems. Now it will, if we are insecure about our like uh, assurance of salvation, then the more we study the word, faith comes by hearing, and the more we will understand how permanently secure that we are in Christ. Uh, so if, if you're scared about that, then, yes, studying positional truth uh, will help you. But we, when you start pulling in psychology theory with scripture, then it's, it's, I liken it, I think in the book I, I use this illustration, it's like you're baking a cake. And you have pure, clean ingredients, and you bake this you stir up this beautiful cake, and then you throw dirt into it and of course it 's ruined well it 's the same thing we have the pure word of God, and we don 't need to add man 's ideas to it then it's her- it 's wrong it 's heresy it 's false teaching uh, so, positional truth is true, and I love it. It's precious. I love thinking about it. Uh, but if I'm sinning, I am not gonna feel better if I, if, unless I turn from my sin. Now, others talk about self-esteem, wanting to belong, a need for love. They use uh, you can read the Christian psychology books, and I've read probably most of them. Um, they use unbiblical terms like your self-esteem needs or needs, or your love cup to be filled up. And this is these are modeled after secular philosophies to try to help man to grow and change and mature as a Christian. So we do want men to grow and mature. And change, and and but this is not the way to do it. Now, what this does when you hear stuff like that, it tickles your ears, and it entices our sinful flesh to think more and more highly of ourselves, and less and less highly about God. It is a sin to be now. Now, listen carefully what I'm going to say. Is a sin to be depressed because others do not esteem us or treat us the way we would have liked to have been treated, or for that matter, the way that God would have liked for them to treat us. What they have done may have been evil and wicked, and I know that these kinds of things happen to other people, or especially to children and teens that are taken advantage of. But we are to respond with overcoming evil with good. We're to respond with calling in the governing authorities. Call 911 if that's what you need to do. Uh, God has given us that to protect us, but we are to forgive and we are to appropriately expose the deeds of darkness and not just cover up them. So instead of brooding and fretting and playing these things that maybe happened years ago over and over in your mind, uh, we are to set our mind on the things above. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. And you'll never forget terrible things that happened to you in your past, but it does not have to emotionally cripple you. Now, there's an excellent, fairly new book by Steve Byers, B-I-A-R-S, it's called, he's a pastor and a, a ACBC counselor, he's on the board, he wrote a book called um, Putting Your Past in Its Place, and I believe it's Harvest House Publisher but I highly recommend that book. So let me summarize Psychologized Man. He perceives himself as needy in an unbiblical sense because we do need a personal relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Psychologized Man is believed to be influenced or even controlled by unconscious desires and needs which are not in the Bible. The scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, probably all Christian psychologists and most secular psychologists would say they are not Freudian. But they are. If they think that you're suppressing something and they have to help you get this out... Then, um, they are adhering to some of freud 's ideas. There is no secret part of you controlling you that you don't know about if, if God will tell you what you need to know. He will convict you, and he will he he's given us when I took the biblical counseling training, I was amazed at how. The scriptures just came alive and how they were so practical. And I, it gave me so much, it convicted me, but it gave me so much hope. I can change. The Lord will help me. But I, I'm going to have to do it his way and start thinking his way, renewing my mind, the Bible says. Um, Psychologist man is focused on self He often, he fears other men or needs them to try to make him feel better. Ed Welch wrote a book called When Man is Big and God is Small, and there's a great quote in there. He said, said, instead of how can I feel better about myself and not be controlled by what other people think, a better question is... Why am I so concerned about self-esteem? Or why do I have to have someone, even Jesus, think that I am great? We need a way to think less often about ourselves. Regarding other people, our problem is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. The task God sets for us is to need them less and love them more. Ask God what our duty is towards them. The path of service is the road to freedom. And psychology as man is longing for certain feelings. Uh, We do have feelings. We do have emotions. But guess what? Those emotions are coming from what you're thinking, what you're telling yourself. So you... That has to be renewed. The psychiatrist can give you a pill to try to help those emotions. But God wants you to get to your heart, who you are on the inside. And then, psychologized man is encouraged to use God for how God can make him feel instead of repenting from his self-focus, denying self, and loving others, whether he feels like it or not. Now... Biblical counseling has been criticized for being mean to people and um, they're simplistic because we don't get into the deeper parts of mankind. Uh, but you you can't get any deeper than the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's what the Bible does. Um, so we... You cannot, when when you tell somebody the truth and do it in a kind way and give them hope and tell them how by God's grace they can change, they can repent, your life doesn't have to be this way, um, I can't think of anything more kind or loving that you can do. In 1 Corinthians 13 it says, Love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. So when you tell somebody, you know the bad news is that this is sin, but the good news is it can be repented of. God can help you. You don't have to be this way. So that that is not an unkind thing to do. It's uh, truth. And it's very freeing. You know, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So that's psychologized man. So you're going to be discerning about when you pick up a book and start leafing through it at the bookstore or you hear something on the radio or something in a sermon. And then I want to talk about religious man. Now, a religious man gives himself too much credit. He thinks his good works can earn his salvation. And if the good that he does outweighs the bad, then when he dies, he'll be in heaven. He thinks being good or taking the sacraments can help, can make him keep his salvation. And his salvation is totally up to him. The, he doesn't see how really dead he is in his trespasses and sin. He thinks he's good enough to to choose God to be saved. He's also free to reject God and therefore lose his salvation. I grew up in a church that was like that. If you didn't do certain things, then you would lose your salvation. But you... Could walk right down the aisle and make another profession of faith or rededicate your life, they, they would say, and then you would be back in the fold until you did something else, uh, to violate one of their rules. See, we have trouble. Adam and Eve had a free will. It was pure. It was holy. They had ne- before they sinned, they had a free will to choose, and you see what they chose. We would have chosen the same thing um, that they did, religious in a bad sense man his he he doesn 't see how his free will has been marred by his sin nature. <laughs> thereby blinding him to his complete dependence upon God to save him in the first place. You know, some of you, I told, or may have told the whole group about my great-grandson, Calvin. You would love Calvin. He is so adorable. He's just adorable. I just love Calvin. So he's learning, he's started crawling now, and he crawl really fast. You have to run to catch up with him. He's 10 months old, and his mother, Jordan, my granddaughter, was over there the other day at our house. She put him down. Well, he spied the plug outlet in the wall, and it had some plugs and stuff. He made a beeline for that thing, and she said, no. Do you think he stopped? Oh, no. She had to go pick him up and take him away from there. He, You don't have to teach him to rebel. You don't have to teach him to lie. So when he, when he starts talking, one of these days he's going to tell a lie. He's a sinner through and through. Adorable, but a sinner. <laughs> so we've got to have a proper perspective of man. In A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he said... I love this quote. Man has a crushing burden, his obligation to God. It includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God with every power of mind and soul, to obey him perfectly, and to worship him acceptably. The gospel can lift this destroying, crushing burden From the mind, give beauty for ashes and the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But unless the weight of the burden is felt, unless you see your obligation to God, unless you see your sin, the gospel can mean nothing to the man. And until he sees a vision of God high and lifted up, there will be no woe and no burden. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. Uh, Man is dead in his trespasses and sins. It says that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You know, there was some, I told you about my life uh, last night, and it was evil. I was just a wicked person. And um, when I got saved, I started reading the Bible. And when I got to that verse where Paul says that he's the chiefest of sinners, you you remember that verse? Um, I said, I found a verse that's not true because I am the chiefest of sinners. So anyway, I have to believe the Bible, but I think that's the one verse that I would differ with. We're all chiefest of sinners. Ephesians 2 said, talking to Christians, writing to Christians in Ephesus, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, to which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, and those are two of the most wonderful words in the whole Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We, you know, we're not in heaven now, but for those of us that know the Lord, we will be. I, uh, was almost killed in an automobile wreck years ago. I had been a Christian for a year and a half, and um, a drunk driver hit me, and my spleen ruptured, and they almost didn't get me to the hospital in time. And uh, long story short, but I was knocked out in the wreck, and I came to, and I was trapped in the car, And I thought, I felt short of breath. I need to breathe. And I tried, and I could not. And um, I thought, I'm going to die. And before they get me out of this car. And I remember praying. And I, oh, no, I didn't even pray. I, I thought. What is it going to be like when I die? And all I could think about was the Lord Jesus and trying to imagine what he would look like and what heaven would be like. And and then I started breathing. Not good breathing, but breathing. And uh, then I prayed, just in my own mind, and people are running around trying to get me out of there. And I just said, Lord, I know I'm hurt badly. And I don't think I'm going to make it to the hospital. But whether I do or whether I don't, I want you to use this for your glory. And God just gave me great peace. It it was like I thought I was one tiny baby step away from eternity. And I, w- I was, really. And um, it was me and God, and it came down to that. So I was just a fairly new baby Christian. But we we need to think about heaven. John MacArthur has written an excellent book, The Glory of Heaven. I I read that. Uh, when it came out and I just wanted to go be there Uh, it was so wonderful but we are dead in our trespasses and sins and God is the one who has to make us alive together with him secondly man thinks more highly of himself than he ought Uh, even Calvin does (laughs) Ephesians, uh, I mean, Philippians 2, 3 and 4. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And, and some versions say vain glory. With, but with humility of your mind, what you're thinking, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Because our tendency is to be self-focused. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And then he goes on there. He uses the, the example of our Lord Jesus. And he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he did not demand equal rights. But he emptied himself. This is kenosis. They call this the kenosis passage. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He left his glory in heaven and veiled it and took on Humanity was very humiliating. That was his humiliation. He did that for us. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And someday, it says, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we should have the same attitude that the Lord had. He humbled himself. And we should be humble. And we should obey God. And we should think esteem others as more important than ourselves. Number three, man loves himself. It's just uh, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 2, it says in the last days before Christ comes back, that men will be, and the first thing on that list is, lovers of self. Um, self is at the center of his lusts, his They call them felt needs, your emotions. Uh, His felt needs for significance, security, or esteem are what we, it tickles our ears. We hear this. We want to be somebody special uh, or feel special. James 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, But each one is tempted, tempted to sin. When he's carried away and enticed or drawn by his own lust or his own desire. That when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And then he goes on there. So, And then in Matthew 22... 37 through 39. They asked Jesus. Uh, they were all the time trying to trick him. And um, they trap him, the Pharisees were. And um, the Pharisees thought in terms of greater laws and lesser laws. Now, They were so legalistic and so outwardly. Everything is unclean outward. Um, They made up rules and regulations called the Talmud, and they added to Scripture. They had the Old Testament, and they knew the Ten Commandments. They knew the, the laws in the Old Testament, but they added to them. Well, then... They decided, okay, this is a greater law, this is a lesser law. The the laws they added, they elevated to the saith the Lord. So um, they it was not illogical for them to ask Jesus, Well, what do you think is the greatest commandment in the law? So he said, uh starting verse thirty five, one of them, a lawyer, Ask him a question, testing him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And by the way, the Pharisees, um, they determined what they thought were greater laws and lesser laws, and they said the lesser laws are optional, but the greater laws are not. So it was very convenient for them to say, okay, I would never violate this one or this one or this one, but some others are optional. And then he said to him, Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Well, how do we show love to God? Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But Jesus added a second great commandment. The second is like it, like the first You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, that was shocking to them because their neighbors were the Samaritans and the Gentiles, and they hated them. They had been taught to hate them. So this was uh, really shocking there. But man loves himself. But God says, love others. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And then number four, man is enticed by his own lusts, his own desires. Self is at the center of his lust, his felt needs for significance and security there. Um, Let's see. Did I read James 1 yet? I didn't. All right, James 1, verse 14 and 15. I did. Each one is tempted when he's carried and enticed by his own lust. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. This sin, people will say, I just don't know why I did did that. I can't believe I did that. Well, you should believe it because you did it. And we are perfectly capable of sinning and doing horrible things. And when we won't forgive somebody that has done something, at least forgive in our hearts uh, by what we're thinking and not play it over and over and become bitter, uh, we we just don't understand our own sin. You know, I've, I've had wives say, my husband... Committed adultery, I would have never done that to him. How could he do this to me? Well, he probably wasn't even thinking about you. He probably just has a lust problem in his heart, and then he acted on it. So it's very hard not to take it personally. But in a situation like that, I would say, well, it wouldn't matter who his wife was. This is sin in his own life and in his own heart. Um, Tozier said, Man is a created being, a derived and contingent self, who of himself possesses nothing, but is dependent each moment for his existence upon the one who created him after his own likeness. That God is everything, And man, for all of his is nothing, is a basic tenet of Christian faith and devotion. Man, for all his genius, is but an echo of the original voice, a reflection of the uncreated light. And then point number five, man is in desperate need of Christ, and unless God draws him and convicts him of his sin and grants him repentance, He will not believe, not in a saving sense. He won't believe God, however religious he becomes. Uh, I'm doing some research on uh, Martin Luther. uh, Sanford and I got to go on a Martin Luther Reformation tour recently in Germany. And uh, so... We're going to show some of our slides and talk about Martin Luther's life. Martin Luther was religious. I mean, if anybody could have worked his way into heaven, uh, it would have been him. And he literally was driving himself insane when he finally came to know the Lord. But he was a, a Catholic monk. He was super religious. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast and then Titus 3 and I read this last night but I'm reading it again Titus 3 verses uh, 3 through 7 says For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Martin Luther, uh, when he was in the Augustinian monastery before he got saved, um, he was starving himself. He would um, go out. There were no he- there was no heat in there. He would be freezing cold. He was dying. At one point, he almost he did pass out because he was so weak and thin and um, malnourished. And um, he would fast and he would pray and he would torture himself by not sleeping. And uh, there was a vicar uh, that big. Deal in the church that came there and visited that monastery. And uh, I think that man knew the Lord because he gave the gospel to Martin Luther. And he gave it very clearly. And Martin Luther's response was, I am not worthy enough to ask. Now, he he, we're, none of us are worthy enough to ask. It depends on God. Abraham believed God, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So um, anyway, it, uh, Martin Luther, uh, he did start eating a little bit more after that, but he still, he would go to confession for hours, and whoever he was confessing to would just get fed up. And to say, don't come back, or they would say, um, come back when you have something big, you know, real to confess. And uh, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. He would just come back anyway. So it was, uh, it was an, um, it was an, a wicked system, and it was based on man's earning God's favor there. So. Um and then in Acts seventeen, verse thirty and thirty-one, it says, Therefore, having overlooked, and this is Paul making a, a, a so, preaching a sermon, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus is always going to be the judge for whichever judgment you are talking about, but you know, coming to Christ is turning from your sin to Christ, to God. And with a heart's desire to of a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, uh, your life changes. You're, um, all right, let's talk about, uh, people don't see how their free will has been so marred. They think they're good enough uh, to make, to choose God. God has to grant you repentance. He has to, uh, it, it's like uh, Pilgrim's Progress. God pulled Pilgrim through the wicked gate. He knocked, and but he couldn't get through it himself. And the Lord Jesus pulled him through the wicked gate. Wicked, not wicked, wicked gate. All right, here's the proper perspective of man. Um, Wait a minute. I've already read that, haven't I? Let's see. Man is in desperate need for Christ. And then Romans 10, verse 9. When I get off on a tangent, then I forget where I am. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... And believe, and that word believe in the Greek, the underlying meaning is trust. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Man is needy in the sense that he desperately needs the Lord. So let me just conclude by saying... The so-called Christian view of man is changing. It esteems man higher and higher, and in the process, God gets smaller and smaller. It affects the gospel. Then it just gives a false gospel. It's a misleading gospel. For example, Christ died for you because you are so special and so valuable. Or, instead of saying God is holy, you're a sinner, you must cry out to him for mercy. The, the Christian view of man also affects how we solve problems and how we grow as Christians. So instead of repenting and assuming responsibility, God gives grace to the who? Humble, but he resists the proud. So uh, when you assume responsibility for your actions, then you're humbling yourself. The Lord will help you. We're just told, just realize who you are in Christ, and then you will feel better. Men are proud. They're lovers of themselves. They seek to be stroked and more sinful than we can even imagine. And the only way we can be freed from our sinful self is to know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is in the Scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ We are here to serve and glorify Him on His terms and not our own. And let me just ask you, what about you? Are you seeking to use God so that you can feel better and be somebody? Or are you seeking to glorify our great God, Most High? So let's pray. Father, I do pray that we will be discerning that we will understand these things and that we, we can see red flags when we hear something on the radio or something, uh, we read a book or um, somebody just says something and that we will be kind to those who differ with us and that we will want to help restore them to a right relationship with God and that we will love them and and, uh, carefully uh, ask them to at least consider what the Bible has to say and just teach them and bring them along. Lord, I pray that you will use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.